Welcome to Bent on Education podcast, a podcast focusing on evidence-based review of physiology, pharmacology, pathophysiology, and other anesthesia-related topics. I'll discuss being a clinical preceptor, a mentor, and a leader. This podcast is by CRNA for SRNAs and others seeking to build their basic knowledge base. So let's get bent on education. And welcome to Bent on Education podcast. Uh, We're still doing top of the drawer medication. I have had pretty good um, feedback. And so we're going to try a couple things. One listener asked about doing a transcript of the information that I will work on. I promise you all that. But until then, today we're going to talk about etomidate. Very interesting drug. Um, It was brought into clinical practice in the United States anyway, in the early 1980s, and it was utilized as an induction agent for anesthesia. Um, You will see it used in emergency rooms for people who come in that need to have an airway secured and things like that. From a chemical standpoint, etomidate is a carboxylated amidazole-containing compound. Um, It's chemically unlike any other induction agent, and its structure contains that, again, that imidazole nucleus that renders etomidate water-soluble when it's at an acidic pH, but at at a physiologic pH, it undergoes an intramolecular rearrangement, and that results in a closed ring structure that actually enhances its lipid solubility. When I was reading up on Atomidate, these were the things I was like, whoa, whoever knew that? Um, I did know it was a carboxylated imidazole-containing solution, but just how the chemical structure changes based on the pH is really something that um, puts it in a different category from all of our other induction agents for anesthesia. Etomidate seems to exert its um, inhibitory effects at, again, that GABA-A receptor site, and it binds to a specific site or sites, and what it does is it enhances its affinity for the neuroreceptor GABA. The interesting thing about etomidate is that it lacks the ability to modulate other ligand-gated ion channels. When we look at the predominant structure of etomidate, it's an isomer R or R isomer. And so we'll talk a little bit about what that actually means. And so this is what structurally accounts for its anesthetic properties. So what is an isomer? Let's just back up a little bit and talk about some chemistry and physics. Remember that an isomer is two or more compounds with the same formula, but the arrangement of the atoms are different in the molecules. So you will hear um, in anesthesia or just chemistry and physics in general that we talk about R isomers and S isomers. Just as a history, just as you know, some background information, when they talk about the R isomer, that means rectus. So it's a right-handed isomer that it's clockwise. Contrary to that is your S isomer, which is considered a, you know, it's all Latin, so it's considered sinister. And so that's your left-handed compound, which um, has its molecular structure going in a counterclockwise direction. 
when we're looking at some of the aspects of etomidate, it has some disinhibitory effects on the subcortical structures. So what happens with this is that it suppresses those extrapyramidal motor activities. And this accounts for about 30 to 60% of the incidences that patients may have when you give a dose of etomidate and they have that myoclonus reaction. So this is how that kind of works. And so you should know that these, this type of information, you know, in order to say, hey, this is what the medication is doing and this is why my patient is having this myoclonic reaction to the medication. Lots of times what we think of in anesthesia is how do we counteract a reaction that a patient might have. So this myoclonal, myoclonal side effect can actually be reduced or in some instances completely eliminated if you administer or co-administer a small amount of either an opioid or a benzodiazepine when you're giving etomidate to a patient. Remember I talked about the fact that that imidazole ring provides for that water solubility in an acidic solution and lipid solubility at a physiologic pH, very different than any other medication that we've talked about so far. So what happens is etomidate is dissolved in propylene glycol for injection. This solution typically will cause some pain on injection. Um, Again, if you're giving this medication and you want to combat the side effects of pain on injection, you can give, you know, local anesthetic like lidocaine, for example, with your, um, with your automidate. Let's discuss the pharmacokinetics of this medication. Um, etomidate, as far as absorption, etomidate is available only as an intravenous administered medication. It's primarily used for the induction of general anesthesia. Sometimes it's used for you know, deep sedation um, prior to giving a block, you know, when I mean block, I mean a peripheral nerve block um, for those of you who are on anesthesia. So typically though, you will see etomidate as a medication for the induction of general anesthesia. When we look at the distribution of this medication, even though it's highly protein bound, etomidate is characterized by having a very rapid onset of action because it's greater lipid solubility and large amount of unionized fraction of the medication is when it's at a physiologic pH. So when we're looking at all of these things, because it has that rapid onset um, of, you know, action of the medication, this is probably a good medication to use if you need to secure an airway for a patient quickly. If you're in an emergency room and you know you have to do a procedure on a patient right away, uh, this might be a good medication to use again for that deep sedation. When we look at the redistribution of etomidate, redistribution is responsible for the decreasing of the plasma concentration to levels where a patient will awaken from this medicine. Etomidate, its plasma kinetics are well explained in the two-compartment model. When we look at the two-compartment model of pharmacology, it's stating that we give a medication, it goes into the um, central compartments, it's redistributed into the peripheral compartments, and then subsequently to be eliminated, it goes back into 
these central compartments. As far as biotransformation is concerned, uh, again, we're looking at the cytochrome P450 system or the hepatic microsomal en enzymes and plasma esterases that rapidly hydrolyze atomidate to an inactive metabolite. So that's great. All its metabolites are inactive. As far as the excretion of atomidate, the end products are primarily excreted um, in the urine. So that's like most of the medication that we have been talking about in this series. Let's talk about some of the effects on the organ systems themselves. We'll start with the heart. So from a cardiovascular standpoint, Atomidate has very minimal effects on the cardiovascular system when it's given by itself. Obviously, if you're giving medication like a benzodiazepine uh, or an opioid to take care of some of the side effects of Atomidate, then you're going to give other medications that may actually have an effect on the cardiovascular system. But Atomidate, when given alone, definitely does not. You look at a very mild reduction in the peripheral vascular resistance, um, and this is responsible for a bit of a decline in the arterial blood pressure when you're giving this medication. So if you're giving Atomidate, you can expect a very mild decline in your arterial blood pressure. Myocardial contractility and cardiac output are typically unchanged, so that's not something you need to worry about. Etomidate does not release histamine, so that's a good thing. So you're not going to have that histamine release. You won't have that decrease in blood pressure that may be refractory um, because of the histamine release. So you're in a pretty good, safe place uh, with that. However, Etomidate, if you give it by itself and in large doses, does produce a relatively light anesthesia for laryngoscopy. Laryngoscopy is when we put that uh, laryngoscope blade in someone's mouth so that we can secure an airway. So what you need to know is that given this medication alone and you are going to do a laryngoscopy to maintain an airway, this may not be enough uh, for the acceptance of this metal blade for a patient. So why does this really matter? Because if you just give Atomidate in order to what we call an anesthesia intubate a patient, so secure an airway for a patient, you actually may see pretty decent increase, increases in a patient's heart rate, in their blood pressure. So you want to make sure that you have an adequate depth of sedation and or adequate depth of anesthesia before you instrument an airway if you're just giving Atomidate. I guess the take home is don't just give Atomidate, but expect those changes in heart rate if you only give Atomidate. When we're looking at the respiratory system, ventilation is less affected with Atomidate than it is with your barbiturates and or your benzodiazepines. So even induction doses usually not do not, I should say, result in apnea unless you have given an opioid medication along with Etomidate for your um, induction of anesthesia or your deep sedation. When we're looking at the neurovascular or the, um, the neurosystem, etomidate decreases the cerebral metabolic rate, cerebral blood flow, and intracranial pressure. So this is a great medication to give if you're looking for decreases in those things. Because it has very minimal cardiovascular effects, as I described earlier, cerebral perfusion is pretty well maintained when you give a dose of etomidate. Although changes on an EEG or an electro 
electroencephalogram uh, resembles those associated with barbiturates. Etomidate, just like ketamine, increases the amplitude of your somatosensory evoked potentials. So if you're looking at doing a case, what we call an anesthesia, TIVA, total IV anesthesia, this may not be one of those medications that you would use for continuous infusion. Postoperative nausea and vomiting are pretty common following Etomidate, um, and more so than when you're giving propofol or a barbiturate. Remember, keep in mind that propofol does have anti-emetic effects, so it's a great medication to give for nausea and vomiting. Etomidate lacks that for sure, and it also lacks analgesic properties. So you want to make sure that if you're giving a patient Etomidate and you're worried about pain, that you also give a patient something for pain, such as an opioid, of course. When we're looking at the endocrine system. Keep in mind that if you're giving an induction dose of etomidate, which an induction dose, an induction dose is 0.2 to 0.3 milligrams per kilo, if you're giving a dose like that, etomidate can transiently inhibit the enzymes involved in cortisol and aldosterone synthesis. When you know, evidence has shown when it's infused for sedation in an intensive care unit, for example. Etomidate was reported to produce adrenal cortical suppression. And so with that, you can imagine that a patient in an intensive care unit, this greatly increased their morbidity and mortality rate. As we dive a little bit deeper into the adrenal suppression associated with Etomidate, it appears that It is at the level of the adrenal cortex, and it occurs within 30 minutes of administering a single dose. How long does this adrenal suppression last? It varies from patient to patient. It can last anywhere from between 5 and 24 hours. And what happens again is that it diminishes cortisol and aldosterone levels. There are subpopulations that have been researched, um, such as those with sepsis, those are the ones you're going to find in the intensive care unit mostly, that they would greatly benefit from an intact and fully functional adrenal system, right? So you want to be very careful with the selection of medication that you're giving if you are working in um, an intensive care unit or with that particular patient population. As far as, you know, when we look at steroid supplementation, you want to make sure that the benefits of etomidate outweigh the risks of other induction agents, again, because that morbidity and mortality rate is increased in the septic patient who can receive maybe one dose of etomidate and you, you know, you've done them more harm than good. Uh, You could have chosen maybe a, a different agent and things would have maybe fared a little bit better for yourself, actually for the patient, not yourself. Everything we do in nursing, in medicine, um, you always want to make sure that you refer to literature. And the literature is still a little bit controversial when we talk about utilizing etomidate with impending sepsis, somebody that you think may be sepsis. And until this significance, um, you know, in this clinical documentation is noted, the short-term adrenal suppression uh, 
you know, with these patients is well noted. And you should understand that as a provider, um, giving this sort of medication to patients. When we're looking at other medications that we give with Atomidate, keep in mind that um, fentanyl actually increases the plasma level and prolongs the elimination half-life of Atomidate. And when we talk about allergic reactions. So this is something that can be a little controversial, though rare that you will have a, an allergic reaction with Atomidate. When we're looking at the induction phase, specifically in anesthesia, it can be difficult to separate which agents you administered that could be possibly um, providing a anaphylactic reaction with the patient. Because as we note in anesthesia, even though antibiotics, get, they get a really bad rap on allergic reactions and anaphylactic reactions in the operating room, muscle relaxants are much more likely to cause a histamine release and produce an anaphylactic reaction for a patient within the operating room space. Let's talk in brief about some of the clinical uses of Atomidate. Obviously, it can be used as an alternative to propofol to induce general anesthesia, specifically when hemodynamic stability is critical. So if you have a patient that has, you know, um, rapid dehydration, whether it's from blood loss or otherwise, etomidate's a great medication to use, again, because it doesn't have those cardiovascular effects that some of our other um, medications, such as propofol and benzodiazepines and so on, may have. Um, how much do we give? I did talk to you just a couple seconds ago that typically your intubating dose is going to be 0.2 to 0.3 milligrams per kilogram. Some of your reference points may say 0.2 to 0.4 milligrams per kilogram. It reaches brain concentrations within one minute and produces unconsciousness. So that's really great. That's, you know, that's what you're looking for most times when you're trying to get a patient off to sleep quickly is that the medication works, what, quickly, right? Remember, it doesn't produce any or provide any analgesia, so you want to make sure that you co-administer etomidate if necessary with an analgesic medication. Specifically, if we are, again, doing a laryngoscopy, because you will produce what is considered a hyperdynamic response to laryngoscopy. So you put a metal blade in someone's mouth and you do not blunt that response. Their blood pressure and heart rate may actually go um, above and beyond what you need. Awakening after a single dose is quicker when it's compared to our barbiturates again. It has a faster metabolism and it lacks the sequestration in the adipose tissue. So it results in a lower cumulative effect when we're talking about etomidate. So in 20 minutes or less, I've described probably the major aspects of Atomidate that are super important to recognize. I'll just hit some of the points that you want to keep in, in mind. Remember that it can produce that myoclonic reaction, an adrenal suppression. Um, how are you going to combat those things? Uh, you want to make sure that you have a plan. That last side effect of Atomidate is that pain on injection due to the propylene glycol. If you've ever given a medication such as, I think, Ativan, Ativan has the preservative uh, propylene glycol as well. So even though patients don't complain as much with Ativan, that too can cause a bit of pain on injection. 
So again, that's the skinny on automate. And um, I think that next week we're going to talk about propofol. Propofol might take us two weeks um, to get through. There's so much um, about it. Uh, so many different properties. People use it for you know, uh, TIVA, so total IV anesthesia. They use it for the induction of anesthesia in ICUs. Providers use it as a sedative to keep patients that have a breathing tube in asleep so they're not troubled by um, the breathing tube. But there are a lot, there's some side effects that we can talk about uh, with propofol um, as well. So again, remember, we are on every other week just to give everybody a chance to digest the information, maybe ask yourself some questions. If you ever have any questions for me, please reach out um, to me via Instagram. You can just message me. My Instagram is bent on education. I'm happy to answer any questions. Um, And until then, let's just keep learning and keep getting bent on education.